Abraham, you can talk about Disney Plus. You can talk about the fact that Frozen 2 got on Disney Plus like three months early. Oh, I have even less to say about that, unfortunately, but you know. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, I mean, um... Hello everyone, welcome to the show. My name is Tannen. I'm Metro Anime. I'm Kaylee. I'm Abraham. I'm Abraham. Nice to meet you. <laughs> so let's start today's show. Metro, uh, what do you want to talk about? So I was thinking topic of eminent domain over property from the government. Recently in government, I was studying how governments generally can take a citizen's property with compensation, as they say, and use it for whatever they want. Mm -hmm. And just basically steal any property. Personally, don't think that seems completely just. Mainly because in a certain court case called, one second, Kilo versus City of New London in Connecticut, there was a bunch of houses, just a few private owners, but um, the government or the city council government came in and was forcing them to sell their property so they could sell it to a, another private company. Even, you know, it wasn't actually for government purposes. And that doesn't seem just because you're just redistributing property to another private citizen. Yeah, I happen to agree with your stance. I don't believe the government has the right, at least in the United States, to force private citizens to hand over their own private property. Yeah, so basically, I think the government has the right to take property from private citizens as long as they pay just compensations with a fair evaluation of how much the property worth. But I don't think they have or should have the right to take property for a private citizen so they could sell it or give it to a company just because they can put it to more productive use because mm. it's just giving it from one private citizen to another. That's fair. I mean, if you want a radical viewpoint on this issue, I mean, as a lot of you will already be aware, I am uh, deeply opposed to the institution of private property more generally. So, you know, in, in, re in regards to sort of retaking it on a sort of a communal level, I'm generally in favor of that for purposes of, you know, collectivization even. So in that sense, I, uh, I, I guess I'm in favor. Though I, I do think that if it's being uh, sort of uh, retaken taken by a sort of a, um, a uh, capitalistic government that aims solely to generate profits as opposed to um, a more collective uh, good, I suppose, then I can, I can see there being issues there. Um, though I think in general, uh, private property is something we need uh, less of, not more, in my, in my own opinion. Okay, that's interesting. Um, like, I personally believe that uh, private property should be allowed and should be endorsed because you buy property, it's yours, and then you build your dream house, for say, and then a government can just come in and say, we have the right to buy this and you can't stop it. That just doesn't suggest because... Well, I mean... The, what you're describing there is in something where you can buy something and then use it to, you know, uh, cultivate your own lifestyle. I wouldn't necessarily call that private property. Um, I would say that that's more in the realm of personal property. The difference being is that personal property is something that is sort of directly connected to your own um, to your own life. It's something that you that you use. It's something that you work with, etc. Whereas private property is more that 
property that you have solely for the generation of capital or, um, you know, for accumulating further profit. Um, so in that sense, there's a, there's a slight difference between sort of what, um, what we might call private property to personal property. Um, so in that sense, I think, um, I guess that it, the, in regards to whether or not the government should be able to take it, I guess that again sort of um, depends to a certain extent on which type of property it is for one. Um, and then secondly, I guess um, whether or not that that's going to be used for um, sort of a individualistic purpose or a sort of a more collective one. Um, but yeah. I believe you're um, distinguishing two things that really have uh, no differences. Yeah. To put it uh, more, um, I had it better in my head. But anyway, <laughs> I think um, there is no difference between personal and private property. Because if you want to generate your own capital, you can sell your own personal belongings and you can sell your business. It, th there's really no difference between the two. And for private property, I believe that it is a, a fundamental um, human right in which people have the the capability and the um the I, I don't want to say the word right again but um <laughs> the 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 principle of private property is that you can develop and you can sustain yourself without the reliance on others and with that brings a society built upon a more stable system i believe because everyone takes responsibility i understand the principle in that um sort of the the, the argument that's often given uh in relation to uh private property first of all I'll, I'll just come back to what you said about uh the distinguishing between private and personal property um i think within that there's a distinguishing um between wants and needs that sort of core to the uh the labeling of something as either private or personal property needs versus wants versus whatever whatever you want to call it i think is is deeply ingrained within that question itself um in regards to private property being a human right um i would say that it's 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 often it's often expressed like that by uh you know international treaties and such um like i think the un declaration of human rights technically has the right to private property as a human right and you know i disagree with this because fundamentally what i think that that the reason for that right being there is is to uh being able to achieve your, or fulfill your needs um, and then secondly, in order to express your individuality as, a, as, as, as an individual. Uh, and I think both of these things are much more easy um, to achieve under a uh, economically collectivist system um, of, of, of larger sort of amounts of collective property um, in that one has access to uh, more resources by nature of it being collectively owned. Um, that can then be distributed democratically as opposed to relative arbitrarily um, it allows everyone to everyone's needs to effectively be catered for um, and not placed below uh, the wants of the, um, the the privileged so in that sense I think that whilst I can understand why people accept private property to be a human right I would argue that it's not necessarily fulfilling that purpose um, in the most effective way um, and it's actually as an institution called causing a hindrance um, to uh, sort of 
uh, security of welfare and to individuality. Do you believe the individual has a right to pursue their own happiness? Do I believe that the individual has a right to pursue happiness? I, I guess so, yes. Okay, then I would argue that private property is the single best way a person can do so. Because then they can use that property for whatever they dream to do for their own happiness. You know, the idea of pursuit of your own happiness, I mean, as long as you follow the law, you know, the idea of pursuit of your own happiness is to follow your dreams and do what you want to do without regulation and limitation. But when you have private property, that in, that in itself serves as a limitation in, uh, in, in, on a sort of a societal level. Um, if everything's sort of divided up, it, it makes it very difficult for you to uh, ultimately go and pursue your own you know, wishes and wants and whatever. Um, having it sort of more, a more democratic base for uh, issues of property, means of production, distribution, etc. Um, I, I think would be um, would would facilitate a lot more people in present society to actually uh, be able to go ahead and and uh, gain a means to you know uh, follow their dream project or you know uh, make something out of make make some kind of strange innovation that nobody has thought of. I mean that's just my uh, my personal opinion on the matter. Um, but yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. But I believe that uh, the the capitalist system, to, to, to sum it up neatly, is if a person sees a need and they have a way to fulfill that need, then they'll fulfill the need. And in return for that, they will get some compensation in return for them to be able to continue filling that need or expand into other things. Uh that is, I think, at the beginning of these kind of sort of meritocratic or quote-unquote meritocratic societies. That just that generally does seem to 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 work out pretty well. Um, however, as we've seen, um, capitalism, you know, progress. One might say degenerate if you're looking at it from a very pejorative context. Um, the nature of what we are, you know conditioned to uh, want or to need um, has been you know severely warped by the within the um, creation of consumer culture and the you know uh, and the uh, coming of late stage capitalism so you know um, I think that ultimately um, what it is served to do is sort of um, generate a degree of subjectivity under a sort of a um, an, an almost oligarchic elite um, that that have a lot of say as to um, how these kind of institutions, um, production, distribution, etc., exchange as well, um, are controlled and what they're used for through coercive means and such. Uh, I'll only halfway agree with you there. There has been a degrading and a warp of not capitalism, but our social institutions. So that of your community, your religious affiliation, and your your family. Since all of those institutions have either warped or degraded to the point that no one really holds them up as highly as they once did, I believe that the government has come in to fulfill the role of what those uh, institutions used to do. So instead of uh, people going to the government or some other um, some other governing body that you may prefer, um, people used to go to, first of all, their family, their community, 
or their, you know, their synagogue or their church or knew that one was coming up. Yep. Yep. And so um, people would be able to help each other on a one to one basis or through these institutions. But now since you have a government or, you know, some other type of body that you might want instead, because I know you're not necessarily a statist, but um, mm -hmm. I, I believe that the government really does not have much of a... Um, they don't care as much about you in particular as might a you know family member or community member. Yeah, but I mean, if we see who are gaining more and more power by nature of the economic system and how it, you know, and, and how power is able to be conserved amongst those who possess a lot of it, um, the uh, sort of the corporate CEOs who uh, are, are interested primarily in their own profit, I mean, they would care about you even less than a democratic government. At least a democratic government needs to be democratically elected. Um, you know, corporations, they don't have any democratic processes in there. So in somewhat, to a large degree, sort of an, a um, consolidation of power economically amongst, you know, whether you want to call them the 1% or whether you want to call them um, the capitalist class or whatever you want to call them, bourgeoisie, etc. You know, I, I would say that these have sort of even less of a sort of a personal spiritual relationship with us than the government would. Uh, so I think perhaps to place it to the government specifically and the government replacing former institutions as opposed to, you know, profiteering capitalists doing so, I would say might, to a certain extent, a form of um, false consciousness uh, from my own sort of left-wing point of view. Oh, but I would have to argue that companies do have to care about you more because as, you know, one of the old saying goes is that the consumer is always right. You have to please the consumer. So whenever... Again, whenever a company or a person sees a need and people want what that company has or what that person has, then they just help each other out. And so by the exchange of, of currency, a society can build up further and innovate further where I don't believe a collective organization or a collective society can. Because bureaucracies don't encourage efficiency compared to where in the capitalist system, you know, once again, you see a need. And you can make things more efficient. And you assume that just because, like, you assume that CEOs are more privileged than the average person, and because they're the one percent, they're they're the bad guys or whatever. But like, they worked to get that position in the first place. While compared to majority of the lower population, sure, some of them are in pretty rough situations. But in a capitalist society, you have the ability to go out and work hard and put yourself not maybe on top but up there you know okay just to come back to the first point that was made in that i would like to just respond to a, a similar point i made earlier actually in regards to uh the notion that in the present day because power has been consolidated as it has been essentially a product can create a consumer as opposed to uh the other way around and i think you know whether that's through commodity fetishism uh, which obviously has increased um, massively with the growth of consumer society or by other means, um, you know, it, uh, it, it does place a lot more power in the hands of those who are producing uh, to effectively have uh, the, the final say in, uh, into what they produce and how they produce it.
I would say also in regards to the uh, sort of the meritocratic argument, which I think you just gave there, in regards to oh well, if you've if if you've earned your money, uh, that's that that's that's all well and good. You deserve that. The issue with meritocracy and the issue that I you know have with it is, in essence, if it were if it if it were true, then I would I would be all for it. However, uh, the nature of rewarding. Um, a certain individual with a power that can then go on to be put forward and accumulated and effectively uh, put towards distorting their own system in their own favor. Um, it seeks to, you know, almost uh, corrupt the very meritocratic principle upon which that sort of society is built, um, which is why I think that when you look at how work is perhaps distributed uh, today. Um, often CEOs, I would argue, are not doing uh, quite the same job by any means as their lowest paid workers who are often working in, you know, the, the most grueling sort of uh, manual labor uh, jobs and conditions who don't have the social mobility to even take the risk to go and do the, uh, the, the um, types of uh, work that the, that CEO may have been able to do. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I, I, I think the nature of meritocracy, unfortunately, is a generally quite an unstable one. Um, so, you know, I, 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 take issue, I take issue with, you know, uh, the presumption that that is, you know, uh, still very much at play within late stage capitalism. Well, I would have to disagree with you there because I believe um, capitalism is more of a hierarchy of competence where the most competent will eventually rise to the top because you, you don't want, um, you know, incompetent people, which is where I kind of uh, skeptical with government because, you know, there's quite a few incompetent people as leaders uh, in government. So whereas... Absolutely. I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. Yeah. There are incompetent people in government. There are spineless people in government who, you know, uh, let's just let, let's just be let's just be upfront. We'll call them the neoliberals. Um, no, but yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I forgot where I was going to go with this, but essentially. Um, hmm. Oh, yeah. And, and for social mobility, you know, I, I had a, a debate, a long standing debate with one of my uh, with one of my other friends who is very different politically for me. Mm -hmm. So th this debate was over a coal miner. So could a coal miner uh, have a chance to run for president? Well, my position was yes. A coal miner could, theoretically, he could move from his um, community to a another spot and where, you know, in the States especially, you could, you know, be living in California and the tax rates are horrible and you know, the regulations prevent innovation and growth. But if you move to Texas, tax rates are down, you're a lot wealthier. So you can move from a, from another community to a to a different community, which has um, higher wages, um, better standards of living, and uh, you could make your way up through that. Uh, so that's my argument for social mobility. Yeah, I think that um, in regards to the social mobility point, one of the uh, biggest assets we have in relation to um, finding out how how uh, prevalent it is in society is by looking at exploitation. Because if we assess um, one's if if fundamentally one has the social mobility to surpass um, their exploiter, then they won't 
they wouldn't be explored. Uh, it's kind of difficult to uh, hang on a minute. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to phrase this, um, but um, yeah. So, so so fundamentally, in order to be able to exploit someone, you have to be of the assurance that the social mobility that they that the ex exploitee is being uh, possesses um, does not threaten your own position. So I think that when you look at um, sort of exploitation in the in the modern day, in the modern world, in the Western world, and we see sort of how multi-layered it has become, um, which in essence is is part of bureaucracy as well. I'll give you that. Um, I think that it's it's somewhat evident that we have a large sort of uh, stratification between different parts of society that those who are doing the exploiting are pretty confident that it cannot be overcome easily or you know um, anything other than anonymous uh, than uh, anomalously so um, in that sense I would say uh, I think that what we are arguing for uh, in 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 this particular context is something relatively similar, believe it or not, mm -hmm. in that uh, to a certain extent, I think your argument is basically we live in a, a somewhat classless society to a certain degree in that you do have the social mobility to rise up and down the ranks at your will. Whereas what I am arguing for is that, well, we don't have a classless society now, but I want to create one in the future. Um, so in essence, I don't think we have two different views on this. It's just sort of the premises that we are uh, building our views upon might be, you know, very different. Uh, but yeah, fun stuff. I'll cut you some slack because translating between these two different ideologies and philosophies are just really hard to do, especially on the spot. <laughs> Thanks. So um, the idea of exploiters, so are you referring to empl like employers of the working class? Is that what you're referring to? I'm assuming. Um, What I'm referring to is yeah to, well to a certain extent i mean the employer employee thing is is can sometimes be um sort of um beneficial in a more sort of direct uh, di directly proportionate way however when we talk about exploitation we're talking about the uh product of one's labor fundamentally uh, being expropriated. So we're talking about um, when the, 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 the labor that one is putting in uh, to their job or whatever, they are getting less than they, uh, than their sort of, than the labor value of that, um, of, of, their, of their own work, um, because it's going to the profits of the person above them. Um, I don't, I don't know if there's a more simple way to explain it that I've just uh, sort of skirted round, but I, I hope you kind of get what I'm trying to say. Though I kind of disagree with the idea of, you know, just because like you're paid, you, you agree on a wage that you will be paid to do a certain amount of labor. Now, now to say that you're being exploited because then your boss or manager or the CEO of the company will then continue to sell that product for more. I mean, they're not really being exploited because you both agreed that you're going to get paid for this much labor 
and you're going to do this much work for them. So it's not really an exploitation system. It's, it's you know, I, I pat your back, you pat my back. You know, I get but then, But and... then there's the, uh, sorry, if I could just jump in. I think then there's the question to be asked as to why the person who is sort of losing out from this is, is, has agreed to it. Um, sometimes that's through coercion and coercive means. Is that a free choice? Well, I mean, there's a there's a philosophical debate in that, um, but I I would say no, that's that's not a free choice. There's um, the the pressure of material society. Maybe you have a child that you need to feed, um, and you need to just take what you can get. And then there's also the sort of the more ideological uh, reason in that we are you know conditioned, which I I guess that comes back to coercion in a way. So, so I think that when we talk about free choice, um, especially for those who are uh, sort of hanging above precarity or, you know, towards the lower um, economic classes, um, these people, they they don't really have so much freedom to make a, a, a sort of a free choice, in my opinion, um, due to uh, the pressure of market forces being uh, much heavier on them than it would be on someone who has lots of, you know, uh, economic security from their vast amounts of accumulated wealth. I, I would say that uh, what you're arguing is more prevalent in, in, uh, in a collective society, because in a uh, capitalist uh, free market, you can choose which job you want. So you can, you can uh, just... Uh, leave the job you're at and you can go to another job and you can negotiate what wage you want, uh, how you want to work, your hours and all that. Whereas in a collective society, you're told where to work, what you're going to be paid, etc. And, and you really can't, you don't have any other choice because you, that's what the government tells you that you can have as a citizen, you know, being entitled. To yeah, that. I guess my point is um, that we should, whilst obviously governments can definitely be a force of dictation, I am not going to deny that for a second. Um, I would argue that sort of uh, market forces and pressure to actually uh, have the financial capability to provide for yourself and for your family and for whatever it else um, can also be a force of dictation in itself and um, in, you know, prescribing what one has to do or what what jobs one has to take or you know how quickly one has to get a job or how you know um how how much risk you can take um if, sort of financially um so i guess that's the crux of my argument but yeah anyway i think we should probably move on because we spent a lot of time talking about this particular topic <laughs> i just want to make one more point all right sure this is why i think there is a a reason to have a left wing like the right wing its goal is to um well for for conservatism specifically is to conserve what is good and throw out what is bad the left wing is to uh, essentially try to come up with new ideas and uh and just kind of throw them against the wall but uh it's also to uh, advocate for the for people who are um, unjustly, what's the word, disposed of, or not, not really disposed of, but unjustly treated by the, by the system. Because, you know, there is a, a group of people that really have, um, have a harder means of social mobility. And that's the people who, uh, who, uh, are very very low on the IQ scale. So for like for the U.S. military, they they cannot legally induct people with an IQ less than eighty. It's illegal for them. 
And so they're going to have a hard time finding a job. So that's where I think the left wing steps in and should advocate for people like that. And, you know, and, and then the left wing came in and they created a system of welfare, which now I would say is being abused in the U.S. by those who claim that they're socially, you know, immobile or claiming they can't get a job. But, you know, it is there for those who, who you know, are physically not able to provide for themselves with a free choice because they just can't. I get I get it. You're you're blind, you know. You can't make money. I get that. I mean, we welfare capitalism is hardly the uh the pinnacle of what I'm arguing for, so uh we'll leave it at that. But yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we'll move to my topic. Yay. Okay, so let's see if I can find it. So uh, my for my first topic, I'll be using a news article to explain it since it's kind of strange. But uh, scientists have created the world's first living self-healing robots using stem cells from frogs called xenobots. Uh, the machines are less than a millimeter, uh, so 0 0.04 inches. You know, since most of us are in the U.S., the imperial system still rules. So, <laughs> it, Sometimes I think it shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it's small enough to travel inside human bodies. Um, so they can walk and swim. They can survive for weeks without food. And they can work together in groups. And it was created by the University of Vermont, I believe. Let's see. The stem cells are unspecialized cells that have the ability to develop into different types of cells. Uh, the researchers uh, scraped uh, living stem cells from frog embryos, which uh, they left to incubate. Then the uh, cells were cut out and reshaped into specific body forms, uh, which are actually designed by a supercomputer. Uh, these are novel living machines, uh, quoted by Joshua Bungard. Uh, who was one of the leading researchers of the University of Vermont after the news was released. Uh, they're neither a traditional robot or known species of animal. Uh, it's a new class of artifact, a living, programmable organism. Uh, xenobots don't look like traditional robots. They have, a, they have no shiny gears or robotic arms, but they, um, they're more like you know, tiny pink blobs of flesh. Um, the researchers said that uh, this is deliberate. Uh, this biological machine can achieve things that typical robots cannot. Um, the xenobots uh, can potentially uh, be used for a host of tasks, including, uh, according to the study, which was partially funded by Defense Research Agency, uh, which is a federal agency, eh, which could be, you know, potentially used for military, which I'm not a fan of. Um, the the xenobots can actually be used to, or at least theoretically be used to uh, clean up radioactive waste, collect microplastics from oceans, uh, uh, carry medicine inside the human body to a specific uh, artery or even scrape out plaque. Uh, the xenobots can survive in water environments without additional nutrients, and that would be really useful for drug delivery. Then there's a quote, if we can make 3D biological uh, form on demand, we could uh, repair birth defects, reprogram tumors into normal tissue, regenerate uh, traumatic uh, injuries or degenerative diseases, and possibly even defeat aging. Uh, which was from a researcher's website that works on this. Uh, this research could have a massive impact on regenerative, me 
regenerative medicine, including building body parts and inducing regeneration. So, yeah. Do you have a link to that article? (laughs) Um, It'll be down in the topics and the uh, description below. So what makes it a robot? That it's designed from a supercomputer and is programmable. Okay. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I I suppose I'll give the same argument that I give to pretty much every technological uh, thing you show me. I mean, um, generally, my opinion on this kind of stuff is if it's being used for good, uh, for for collective good, as opposed to being used to as a malevolent force, um, then, you know. Yeah. And there's, I mean... The U.S. military is working on it, so they there's certainly the capability of it being used for, you know, harm. For evil, yeah. I mean, using it in war is pretty... doesn't sound so good, does it? But, you know... Yeah. But, I mean, that, I mean, that'd be kind of... I don't know how you'd use it for war, uh, like, since as far as I understand, it's for, um, you know you have to physically inject it into people. So it'd be kind of hard to, you know, run up in the battlefield and just inject a Al-Qaeda terrorist with it. <laughs> um, and, and plus they're programmed in a certain way. So they would have to be programmed to inflict harm, which I don't think would be a great idea. But hey, they're building an artificial general intelligence in China. So that's... Yeah. Well, yeah. it honestly, this whole thing seems like it'd be hard to program it for anything, honestly. Like, it's a little tiny piece of robot flesh thing, you're saying. Yeah. It, it's one millimeter, you said, correct? That's, yeah, so, yeah. That's, that's tiny, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Wow. I imagine it will get bigger. Uh, maybe. As, as time goes on, research goes on, it grows. I feel like they want it to be small for a purpose. So if they're making small micro robots, there's a reason small. Why would they make it bigger? If I remember correctly, they can work as a collective, meaning that, you know, they can essentially act as one organism. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Now, I'll just go on to my second topic. So this is about a global internet service that uh, Elon Musk started. Um, it's called Starlink, which is, a, I think, a subgroup of SpaceX. Um, so essentially, Elon Musk intends to provide a broadband internet connectivity to underserved areas of the planet, as well as provide a competitively priced service to urban areas. So essentially, you could be out in the middle of the ocean and still have pretty good internet service because he'll be launching a batch of 60 satellites on uh, SpaceX rockets, which I think they delayed. They might be doing it next year instead because of a, a certain thing going around that kind of all over the news right now. I, I don't know if y'all might have heard of it. Oh, I wonder what that is. Yeah. Of course, we can't say it because of YouTube, but anyway. Wait, why can't we, why can't we, why can't we say it? YouTube demonetizes it. And they try to block it. Yep. Good old censorship. But by the by, essentially what they're wanting to do is just make it where internet service is much cheaper, faster, more efficient all over the world. And I think that could go a great way in, you know, getting, you know, third world countries and and, uh, other parts of the world better access to learning and and markets and stuff like that. Hmm. Sounds sounds interesting to me, especially it'll definitely encourage growth in other countries and rural areas. Mm -hmm. People want to be where the internet is half the time anyways, and it'll definitely change things a lot, I think especially with growth of the country as a whole, maybe. Or maybe everyone lives in the urban areas anyway, because why not? He's uh, he's also wanting to make a dedicated one for his Mars colony that he's wanting to build. <laughs> so 
He comes up with some interesting ideas, doesn't he, Elon Musk? <laughs> yeah, like his boring company, which he dug tunnels under LA and made flamethrowers. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's that's Elon Musk for you. That's that's capitalism for you. I can't say I'm a big fan of Elon Musk, but you know, you already knew that. <laughs> and I, I just have you know one more little topic. It, it's it's kind of interesting, but in Las Vegas, people have spotted, I think last year, a bunch of birds wearing tiny cowboy hats just flying about. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. It sounds little bit weird <laughs> if, if i had a pet bird i would put a cowboy hat on i should do that <laughs> it does sound pretty funny but i don't know i'll leave a link to that to a photo on that uh in the description as well but so people started reporting seeing these all around the city and they're just going about their day just wearing tiny cowboy hats and i think across the country um i can't remember where some other people started uh seeing birds wearing sombreros so. <laughs> I want to see that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Are we sure this wasn't like an April Fool's prank or something like that? No. No, that this is this is real. This is real. <laughs> Great. I mean, wonderful. Yeah. April Fool's Day. <laughs> You're a little bit late on that. <laughs> We're a little bit late now, yeah. But uh, well. Yeah. Of course PETA wasn't too happy with the whole situation, but Oh come on. PETA's just every little thing. <laughs> PETA's it has a thing against Animal Crossing. They did an entire article on it. I'm sure they have a hundred things against Animal Crossing. It's ridiculous. In fact, I think this is a perfect segue to your topic, Kaylee. Exactly. That's right. Um, well, Animal Crossing came out, and it is amazing. Basically, you have your character, and you get to build your own little community on a deserted island with Tom Nook and... His, the little two mini ones, which I do not know if they're actually his children or not. I don't know the lore of Animal Crossing, I'm sorry. And then two random characters. But yeah, you start with three characters and you can invite more. You just build a little community. Neat. Wait, did, did you ever hear of the uh, 87-year-old woman who, I think her grandson gave her a 3DS? Yes. And then he bought her a Switch with the new Animal Crossing game recently. Yeah, I saw that. Um... And then one thing, Animal Crossing, it came out at the perfect time. Like, it came out a week after, like, the lockdown, right? And one of the things you can do in Animal Crossing is visit other people's towns and stuff. So that's how I've been seeing my sister a lot, is I've been going to her island on Animal Crossing. Interesting. Fair. I think I saw that video of the 87-year-old woman as well, which is interesting. Yeah, the I think she actually got the Animal Crossing Switch, like the one that has Switch that has the Animal Crossing design on it, if I remember right, if we're thinking of the same one. I don't know. I actually just sort of glanced over it, but I thought saw that and thought it was funny. I think she got the actual Switch that has the Animal Crossing design on it, and I don't have that one. I have the one that um, came out with Pokemon Let's Go, so I have the Eevee and Pikachu Switch. Mm, nice. Yeah, I'm fancy like that. No, just kidding. Well, I think this wraps it up for today. Fun as always. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And speaking of games, I think this is also a good time to announce another thing we're working on. Kaylee? Oh, we're working on a gaming channel. 